You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Well, amen. And uh, first of all, let me just say it's great for uh, Sue and I to be back with you. We were here just about one year ago. It was like the 27th of August last year. And uh, you have no idea what a blessing it was for me to come and preach here because it was the first church that I'd preached in for two years where basically everybody wasn't wearing a mask and I could see your faces, I could hear you sing and it was a wonderful experience for me. So very thankful for that, very thankful for the privilege uh, to be here. Hey, if you've got a Bible this morning, why don't you open them up and let's turn to Isaiah uh, chapter six. Isaiah chapter six, if you don't have a Bible, um, why don't you just uh, put your hand up or something, there's someone who will bring you one and uh, make sure you get one. If you, um, okay, yeah, apparently the children are supposed to go somewhere. I don't know, I'm new here. Well, somewhat. The kids are like, don't make us stay. Don't make us stay. All right. If you need a Bible, get your hand up. And if you uh, get one and you don't have one, uh, feel free to keep it. I get to give stuff away that doesn't even belong to me. So, um, but if you need a Bible, you feel free to uh, get one. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And uh, as I said, it's great to be back. I'm so thankful for what God is doing um, in our churches, especially uh, here in Alberta. Um, I know that uh, Pastor Trevor's up at uh, Redemption in Red Deer this morning. Um, they're very close to installing their elders there. And that'll happen, Lord willing, in September. And then a church plant up in Edmonton with Kyle Hunter. And uh, God is at work in your churches. And it's just great to be a part of that and see um, how God is working. And yet in the midst of all of that, we find ourselves in our own struggles. I'm talking about on the personal level. We find ourselves with a, a lack of victory in our lives so often, and sometimes it's related right around a specific sin that we're engaged in, or just the things that are happening in our lives, and we aren't rejoicing like we should. We aren't finding the joy. Now, you're like, like, how do you know me? I don't know you. I only know me. I only know my heart and the things I wrestle with, the things that I struggle with, and as I struggle with those things in my heart, I'm sure you do as well. It was A.W. Tozer who said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Until we're broken in ourselves, it's hard to see how God can ever use us. Why is that? Well, until I'm broken in myself, I still think I'm the one who's in control. I still think I'm in charge. I still think somehow it's up to me for things to be delivered, and it's just not true. We need to get our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, and allow him to be working uh, for his uh, fame and for his glory. So let's take a look at this very, it's a famous passage, and I'm going to look at verses uh, 1 to 8 of Isaiah chapter 6 as we focus in God's word today. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And the one, the angels, and the one angel called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with, with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this powerful passage and how it brought Isaiah to a place of brokenness in his own walk. A, a man who spiritually, in front of the people, would have probably seemed like he was a giant. And yet, Lord, when he came face to face with you, he was broken by your glory. Would that be true of me today, Lord, even as I open your word, as I've reviewed this text, as we think about what it says, would we set aside our pride, set aside our passion, set aside our priorities, and for these moments we have together, fix our eyes on you. Um, teach us, Lord. Teach us through your word. Do only what you can do in this place. Give us ears to hear your word and minds to comprehend it, but then, Lord, oh God, please, give us faith that we would live, live, live these things out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Broken by his glory is what I've called this message. And uh, it's a message for me, I'm sure, as much as it's a message for you. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says man's chief end is to what? Anybody know? Glorify God. Yeah, all of you who said it were right, and those of you who mumbled it because you weren't sure, you know, you need to be a little stronger about that in the future. But man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The glory of God is our purpose. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10 31, it says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? To the glory of God. Do all to the whether you eat or drink. Or whatever you do, obviously you look at me and the guy goes, that guy does a lot of eating and a lot of drinking. And uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, so now it's everything, encompasses all of our lives, do all to the glory of God. The purpose statement of your church says, lost people saved, saved people matured, matured people multiplied, all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. So, question for me, question for you. How are you doing living that out in your life? What place does God's glory have in your daily walk? What place does his fame take as you get up in the morning and you get going in your day and then you get to work? And, or do you live your life more like this? It's like, well, no, God's in my life when we go to church or when we're in small group or when we're doing the God things, but, but 
God's supposed to be in all the corners of my life, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do you realize the job you have Monday to Friday, nine to five, or whatever you do, do you realize that the purpose of that is for the glory of God? The purpose of what you do is so that you can serve the Lord with the rest of your life. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I have to be reminded of that so often because I get on my Sue knows me better than anybody in this room. I get on my, I can fix it kind of plan. You just give me a little bit of information. I can fix this thing. I can fix this thing. And it's like, um, God said, don't, don't. I'm not giving my glory to anyone else. Don't, I'm going to get to that a little bit in the message. It, it belongs to me. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as we take a look at this message and we take a look at what happened to Isaiah as he was wrestling in his life um, let's just see a, a number of things. Here's the first thing I want you to do. If you're going to be broken by the glory of God, if God's place of his glory is going to get first place where it belongs, you have to be able to see his glory. You have to see his glory. Look, look in verse 1 in what it says. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So it starts out within the year King Uzziah died. Not sure um, how important that statement is any more than just a marker in history. So it's like, this is when this was going on. It's, this happened to me in the year King Uzziah died. That would be important. Uh, or, or maybe, maybe it's like in the year King Uzziah died, the king died, and everybody's like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So. And when you're not sure about things, you can tend to panic. And so maybe it's that. Text isn't clear. So it's either it's a marker in history. This is when this happened. Or it's, it's like we are in the midst of a mess. And God, that's when you spoke to me. Not sure. The text isn't clear. But either of those are possible. Um, he said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple Isaiah has a vision, he has a vision. Now, I'm not a big vision guy. I gotta tell you, I haven't had a lot of visions. God's spoken to me, I believe, a couple of times in my life, but I've never had a vision, not like this. Um, and so, so just for the rest of us, like how does God speak to us? Because there are lots of ways God speaks. This is one of them. We'll come back to it. But God speaks to us in lots of ways. One of the ways that God speaks to us is through his creation. Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which we have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We see God in his creation. Uh, we were out here in May. Um, I had the privilege to speak at the uh, men's conference in our pastors and wives retreat. And uh, so we were in Canmore. And the first morning I woke up and I, I opened the blind and like there's the three sisters, the mountains. And like when you're from Ontario, that's awesome. Okay, we don't have anything like that in Ontario. You guys got some really cool stuff that we don't have. And so I look out there and it's just awesome. And I'm blown away by it. And I've got my Bible in front of me and go, this is so, so cool. We see God in his creation. But you know what? The next morning I woke up and I opened the blinds and the three sisters were still there. And the next morning I woke up and they were still there, by the way. And, it, and each morning my sense of awe just dropped a little bit because I'd seen it. It became norm, normative for me, as it were. And uh, 
Don't lose sight of God in his creation. God has revealed himself to us in his creation. God has revealed himself in our conscience. Just he's built in man. Um, in, in Romans 2, 14 and 15, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and there's conflicting thoughts, accuse or even excuse them. So now God has put in us, God has demonstrated us in, in creation. God has put in us a sense of who he is. Now your conscience... Your conscience is never the perfect guide, right? Because your conscience can be seared, and we see that throughout all of humanity, but God has given us a sense of who he is in our conscience. God has revealed himself in his word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so God has given us his word, given everything we need for for godliness in our lives. And and if you're not in this book, um, you're losing sight of who God is um, because he reveals himself through his word. And so you need to be, I need to be a person who's in the Word of God every day, opening it up. It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday or, or go to a Bible study or something. We need to be being fed by God's Word. It's how God reveals himself. It's how we see his glory. Um, God revealed himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews 1, 1, to tw- 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. And so God reveals his glory through his word. And and it's in reading God's word that you will see the imprint of God and the imprint of God in your life and how he drew you and all of those awesome things God's done through his Son. God reveals himself through others. Um... And then God reveals himself through dreams and visions. And he does. Um, God reveals himself through that. We see it all over scripture. Joseph in Genesis. Joseph in Matthew. Here in Isaiah, God shows himself through a vision. Now let me just say this to you. Um, You always need to test a vision. Always. Always. God will never give you a vision that goes against his word. He never will. It's just not going to happen. And so the person who says, well, I've met this person and I want to marry them and they're not saved and God told me, God didn't tell you that. That wasn't God. That was your hormones telling you that. That was the pepperonis on the pizza last night telling you that. I don't know what was telling you that, but that wasn't God telling you that, right? But sometimes God speaks through visions and, and you're searching the Lord and it's like, hmm. One time I was moving from a ministry before I went and ended up at what is now Hope Church in Markham. Um, I was a director of a conference center and I was just kind of in, in turmoil, just not sure. Is it time to go? Is it time? And I was in a guy's basement. There were three of us just on our faces crying out to the Lord, crying out to the Lord. And in the middle of it, I got a total release from the Lord. It's like, you can go. You can go. I... It's like, whoa, I never had that before. Never had that before. But I had men around me who were praying with me, praying for me. We were seeking the Lord, and God did that. Was that a vision? I don't know. God spoke to me in that moment, but God didn't speak to me in any way that was outside of his revealed word and his revealed will from his word. But if you're going to be broken by God's glory, you have to see his glory. It says in the text, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
God sits on a throne. God doesn't sit on a chair. We sit on chairs. God sits on a throne. Kings sit on thrones. Rulers sit on thrones. Judges sit on thrones. God sits on a throne. And we have to understand who God is like that. God's not just my buddy who's along the way and it's like, hey, dude, let's go out. God is on a throne. He is awesome. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the only one for our salvation. God is the one. And he sits on a throne. The people who sit on a throne, they get revered. They get, they get um, the respect that they deserve. And, and that's who our God is. And uh, is God your Abba, Father? For sure he is. But God sits on a throne. In the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, the world system that we live in, um, well, atheism and materialism, uh, they believe there is no throne. There is no throne. Um, humanism believes there is a throne, and you're sitting on the throne. You are the end in and of yourselves. But God's word says, I was on a throne. Isaiah saw him on a throne. We see that picture all throughout Scripture um, where people saw God on a throne. Job, David, the sons of Korah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the apostle John saw God on the throne. In Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, God's throne is mentioned 35 times. You, you might even call the book of Revelation the book of God's thrones. God is on a throne. It's where he deserves to be. And if he's on the throne, guess what? That means you're not. I'm not on the throne. You're not on the throne. We have to be willing to come to him and be humble before him and submit to him. You must see God on his throne. The text goes on to say he's high and lifted up. Um, he's the occupant of a superior position. The train of his robe fills the temple. Wearing a long train meant I am important enough that I don't have to work. So if you got a job tomorrow, you're not on a throne. If you got to go out and work for a living, you're not on a throne. But, but God is high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. It was a massive thing. It was an awesome thing. It said that others must serve me and others must wait upon me. There's a little picture of this. We see it in our society when the bride comes up the aisle and she has a train that goes along behind her, right? And then there's these people who take care of her all the time, all day long. She's, believe me, okay, you, maybe you brides better just plug your ears for a second, but you're not on a throne. But the picture of that is I'm coming down the aisle and all these people are taking care of me. All these people are taking care of me. That's, that's just a little puny little picture of what God is when he sits on his throne. His robe fills, fills the temple. If you're ever going to be broken by the glory of God, you must see it. You must study it. You must desire to understand who God is and his position compared to who you are. That's the first thing. The next thing is you have to feel the weight of his glory. Not only do you have to see it, but you have to feel the weight of his glory. Look at, at verse 2. It says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Um, the Hebrew words here, as it says, 
and, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. The words here speak of a great weight. It's a, the, the picture of the angel, the angel has six wings. Two of them, they cover their face, which is this picture of adoration. I, I, Lord, I can't even look at you. You are so not who I am. You are so other world to me. With two, he covers his face. It speaks of adoration. With two, he covers his feet. It speaks of modesty and submission and surrender. When you come to the Lord in prayer, do you come with a sense of, God, you are awesome. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And do you come to him with, and Lord, I humble myself. Whatever you want, God, whatever you want, I'll set aside my pride. I'll set aside my priorities. I'll set aside what I want because God ultimately what I want is what you want the angel, these angels cover their face they cover their feet and there's two more and with two they flew it speaks of the cheerful performance of their duties their willingness to serve you have to feel the weight of the glory of God isn't it awesome that we can come to the throne room of God in prayer but we don't come flippantly we come at understanding who he is and how unworthy we are to even be there except for the work of Jesus Christ. And so we come in adoration, we come in humility, but we come with a passion and a heart to serve. That was the picture of the angels. And then you go to verse three and there's like a, a worship fest going on here. And one angel called to another and he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of what? Full of your glory. The whole earth is full of your glory. Why is it repeated? Why isn't it just holy? Well, in the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. And so when he says holy, he's trying to capture the awesomeness of God. But when he repeats it again, it's like, God, you're not just awesome. You're awesome, awesome. And not more than that, God, you're awesome, awesome, awesome. There's, there's nothing else. There's, there's so, so what is this word holy? Well, the word holy kind of has the idea of being apart or, or separate or not like me. Um, holy, holy, holy. He could have said set apart, set apart, set apart. Not like me, not like me, not like me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Feel a little bit of the weight of the privilege that we have to be in a relationship with a God like that and who calls us to come to him, but just realizing who he is, feeling the weight of his glory. The whole earth is full, full of your glory. It's everywhere. Isaiah 42, I said I was going to mention this text earlier. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Psalm 19.1 says, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Whose glory? Not man's glory. Not a system's glory. Not your glory. God's glory. God's essence, God's presence. He is transcendent over all of us. Um, and it comes from his character. 
the character of his attributes, his holiness and his justice and his, his jealousy for himself and for us, his, his love and his mercy, his grace, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience. We, we see God and feel the weight of his glory because of his character and who he is. We see it because of his creative power. Seven days God created the heavens and the earth. We see it in his revelation, in his word, and in his son. And we see it in his working in, in your life and in my life. I see God's glory in his working in my life. The Bible says um, there's none righteous, not even one. No man seeks after God. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive in Jesus Christ. See, so the person who says... I was seeking for God. I was on a journey to try and find God. Didn't happen. You're like, no, it did. It happened in my life. No, it didn't happen. Didn't happen like that. You think it happened like that. Didn't happen like that. Here's how it happened. God did a thing in your life and put you on a journey. And you came to a place down the road, but you didn't start the journey. No one seeks after God, the Bible says. There's none righteous, not even one. The Bible calls us, we're all enemies of God. Like, why would we even want to go after that? But, but God does this work. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and so God is working. Feel the weight of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the awesomeness of God. And his glory is everywhere. It's everywhere. Then he moves on in verse 4, and he says, And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Um, all of the foundation of Isaiah's life are now shaken when he sees the vision. Um, he's had only a glimpse, though. Remember, this is Isaiah. This is in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah writes more about Jesus, basically, than anybody else in the Old Testament, but he didn't understand it all. God's given him the prophecy. He writes the prophecies of Isaiah 14 and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53 and all those pictures of Jesus and, and what he's done, but, but he doesn't have the end of the story. We sit here today with Bibles in our hand, Bibles open, with the whole story. What is being revealed to Isaiah and pointing to Jesus and what is coming has now been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We understand the Messiah has come. We understand, as that song we sang so beautifully, talked about the payment that he made and the sacrifice that he made and, and the, um, the death that he made so that we could be atoned in our sin and what Christ has done and made available to us in salvation. Like We get all of that. We've got the rest of the story. And we should feel the weight. We should feel the weight of his glory. We have the Messiah. In John 17, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwells among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is only the Son of the Father, full of grace and 
truth. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Does that not shake you up just a little bit? Does it not bring you to God is awesome? You need to feel the weight of the glory of God. Feel the weight of his glory. Then here's the next one. You must be broken by his glory. The glory of God will always bring brokenness. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, um, great verses about the work of Christ, it says this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, one day, you're going to bend the knee and bow to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, and I very much want to respect what I'm, so hear me carefully what I'm saying. If you're here today, and you've never trusted Christ, and you're like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. My, my wife made me come to church today. Somebody dragged me here. I really didn't want to be here, and I really wish you weren't talking to me right now. And uh, one day the Bible says you're going to bend the knee to the glory of God. You're like, oh, I don't believe that. No. It's going to happen. You might not believe in gravity either. There's no money in this, so don't run up and try and get it, okay? Well, there is a little bit of money, but it won't get you far. You don't believe in gravity. Yeah, I, don't, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Well, gravity's real. Whether you believe in it, Sue, could you get that before somebody comes and steals it? Could you, um, I just don't know these people very well. Um, <laughs> gravity's real. You don't believe it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, it's true. And Jesus said, every knee is going to bow. Every knee. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that shouldn't cause you to fear. That's an awesome thing. When Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to be on our faces before him. We're going to be rejoicing before him. We're going to be worshiping before him. That's going to be an amazing day for us, and we look forward to that day. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, the Bible says every knee, every knee, not just some, not just those who trusted Jesus, no, every knee, Every knee will bow, and your knee will bow. And so consider the claims of Christ. Feel the weight of his glory. Feel the weight of his glory. And then I pray you would be broken by his glory. Um, look what verse 5 says again. Um, and I said, woe is me. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, it broke him. Woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When your eyes see the King, the Lord of hosts, you cry out, woe is me. You are broken. Um, he sees the sight of the seraphim. He has a vision of the Lord, and he cries out, woe is me. Woe is me me. 
Isaiah's deep sense of depravity and brokenness is, is consistent with the experience of other godly people in Scripture. And Job was like that. Daniel was like that. Peter was like that. We see that with John again in Revelation. When you see the glory of God, you immediately see your sin. You see how other world and other not you God is and how separate you are for him. It brings you to a right view of yourself in your sinfulness. Um, Isaiah 51.4, remember after David had sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, you're the man, you're the man, you're the one who committed the sin. And in in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, David had sinned against more than just God. But when he took a hold of what his sin meant, he couldn't even see the rest of it at that point. It's like, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Church, the sin that's in your life today, do you look at it like that? God, against you. Against you and you only have I sinned. You will never get to a place of true repentance about anything in your life until you get to a, a right view about sin. And that's, that we're going to come to that in, in a minute. Um, but let's just talk about what that sin could look like. It, it could be coveting. It could be covetousness of, of wrong things. They're not yours. Or they're not for you. There's a whole list of what those things could include. It could be the proceeds from crime. It could be cheating. It could be inappropriate relationships. Or it could be about power. It could be about control and and. And God brings you to the place and go, God, you're on the throne. I'm not on the throne. I don't even have a throne. Sin. When you see God and you're broken by his glory, it brings you to a place of repentance. It brings you to a place of repentance. Um, you know, I was always taught as a kid, and I don't know if I've said this to you before, so if I have, please forgive me, but um, we, we tend to think about repentance as this. I'm going in this direction in my life. Repentance means I turn around and I go in a new direction. And that's true. It's not untrue. It's just not complete. Um, it's a little bit like the person who says, you just need to ask Jesus into your heart and be saved. Right? Nothing wrong with saying, have you put, asked Jesus into your heart? I, I'm not going to fight about those words, but what it misses is repentance. Salvation comes when we repent. We're going in this direction, and we move in a new direction, but it's more than just the reason if you struggle with porn and you say, I'm going to get rid of my computer, or I'm going to put safety guards on it, and then you stumble back into that thing again? It's because you haven't truly repented. You tried through works to go, oh, I can't do that anymore. Computer. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go this way. But you didn't do this. You didn't change your mind. You didn't change your mind. You changed your activity. You changed your plan, but you didn't change your mind. And repentance is a change of mind. A repentance is required in salvation. It's a change of mind to from, oh, I can get to God. I can do the right things. God will accept me to I'm a wretched sinner. I have no hope. I trust Jesus Christ, and I'm saved. Without that kind of repentance, there's no salvation, and there's no victory in my life, in your life, in the things that draw us to sin. And it's not just all about sexual sin in our society today, rampant for sure, but even the way you do business, the way you treat other people, it's all part of, God, change my mind about those things. 
that person that just drives you nuts and you're like, I don't know if I can forgive that person, I don't, but I'm gonna try, I'm gonna work hard and, and then down the road it's like, boom, you fall back in the ditch again. It's because you didn't repent. You didn't change your mind. You didn't change your mind. Isaiah's broken by the glory. Woe is me. I'm lost. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the reasonable act of service, repenting of stubbornness, of pride, of willfulness, of independence. Help me, Lord, with that one. Um, when you uh, are broken by his glory, you deal with sin, you deal with reconciliation. He's another one. You, you deal with, uh, with repentance. You deal with reconciliation as well. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin is atoned for. How awesome is the work of Christ in my salvation? How awesome is the work of God in our daily lives that not only do we deal with sin and we come to repentance, but there's reconciliation, and that reconciliation was as a holy God. You deserve nothing and he gave you everything. And we are reconciled to him in Christ. And yet sometimes in my life, it's like, yeah, but Lord, I appreciate what you did for me, but I, I, not for that person. Not for the, you don't know what God. Paul, you preach this today. It's easy for you standing up there. You don't know what that person did to me. Well, here's what I know what you did to Christ. I don't know how he reconciled you to himself in Jesus Christ, God. With God's help, for God's glory. Him on the throne, not my rights, not me on the throne. God, help me to be reconciled, reconciled to Christ. The throne is for God. That's where he rules and reigns. The altar, the altar is for us. That's where we find cleansing and purging from sin. We should never confuse the two. The throne is for God. It's where he rules and reigns. The altar is for us. It's where we find cleansing and purging from sin. Don't confuse the two. He touched my mouth. It's, a, it's an interesting picture. Um, it's kind of gross, actually. But he says, Then one seraph flew to, to me, and having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. Okay, so this is hot. Like, it's like red gold. And he touched my mouth. I'm like, oh, right. Uh, there's no sign of any pain here. Um, and it's a picture. It's a, remember, it's a vision that he saw, right? It's not, it's not like this. He was sitting by his side of his campfire, at, you know, at your camp that's coming up in a week or so. And, you know, somebody comes up and sticks a hot coal on your tongue. Don't do that to each other. This was a vision, okay? But it's a picture, it's a picture of what's, of what's going on. It's a picture of what God... So either there was no pain because of God's special blessing by God or the pain didn't matter because of the majesty that was surrounding him and the goodness of the cleansing. He touched my mouth. That's what Jesus Christ did for you when he saved you. And that's what we need to seek to do as we offer forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation to others. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Amazing work of God. But you have to be broken by that glory. You have to see what God has done and trust him in it. Then one more thing. Then you have to respond to the glory. See, the glory of God never leaves you sitting on the sideline doing nothing. It's just not like that. 
Look, look, look at verse uh, look at verse eight and what it says. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And then I said, "Here am I, send me." It's an interesting question, right? Well, isn't God sovereign? Isn't God all knowing? Why is he asking this question? Well, God's not asking this question because he doesn't know. The question isn't for God. The question's for you. The question was for Isaiah. The question's for me. God's not wondering. What, think about it this way. What does God wonder about? Nothing. What questions do, would he have? None. What does God not know? There's nothing that God doesn't know. And so God's asking this question, and the question's for us, and the question is really for us about our surrender and our service and our worship and our obedience and our desire to follow after him. And God comes to Isaiah after this happens. He touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. You know, I've already talked about the gospel today. I've talked about salvation. But, you know, maybe as you've thought about the glory of God today, maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ. And you're realizing God is on the throne and I'm not. I'm going to stand before a holy God one day. I'm going to bend the knee. I'm going to give an account. And today I need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. Turn from what I'm hoping in. Turn from what I'm believing in. Trusting Jesus Christ. This is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. That's what the Bible says. Be saved. Respond to the glory, the awesome working of God. Respond in salvation. Respond in surrender. Where are you being faithful in serving? Where are you being faithful in growing in Christ? Where, men, where are you being faithful in leading in your home? I'm giving it up, Lord. You're on the throne. Today, it's the day for me to do that. I'm, 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 I am responding to you, Lord, in worship, in personal and corporate worship, with my head, Yes, with my heart, God, before you. I'm responding to, responding to you in obedience. Maybe it's in a quiet time. Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe it's an area of obedience in your life that you've been holding out on. Um, maybe you've never been baptized, and you're like, yeah, no, it's not all that important. And God's on the throne for his glory. Identify with him for his glory. Um, maybe it's your first fruits, a giving of your best, now, that could be in financial, supporting the church, which is important, I believe is ordained by God and commanded in Scripture, but it's also our time, our talents, and our treasures. God isn't just, because lots of people in North America can write a check. Like, we can all write a check or put some money in the, but are we giving God of our time? Are we giving God of our talents? Are we, are we responding to his glory in the way that we serve? Are you fired up to serve? We get to serve the King of Kings. We get to serve the Lord of hosts. You have time for everything else, but you have time to serve the Lord. The widows, the orphans, the hard to love, special needs in your community, special needs in your church. 
Out of Christ's love I will serve. Well, here's how I like to end services. It says, so what? When Isaiah saw the glory of God, everything changed. And he said, here am I. Here am I, God. So what's your here am I thing today? What's your here? There's a so what to this message. It's like, okay, I heard the message. Like, what am I going to do about what I just heard? That's what the so what is. What will I do as a result of hearing God's word today? What's my so what in this text? Because of who God is, because of his work, because of his glory. So what? Maybe you need to come to a place of repentance in your own life. You've put yourself on the throne. You think you've got it all figured out. And it's like, Lord, I got to get right. I got to put you back on the, I got to get you back. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about in that relationship, in your walk. Let's get it right with him. Maybe it's in serving. Maybe it's some place of surrender. In just a minute, we're going to have communion. And uh, we're going to remember the Lord's death. I'm going to lead in communion today. Uh, Pastor John asked me if I do that. I'll do that. And so I'm going to pray in just a minute. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to have communion. But as we do that, remember the Lord's work. Remember what he's done. Remember his salvation. Remember how awesome this memorial is. And we'll walk through that in a minute. But think of it today in the context of the glory of God and the privilege of being in relationship with him. Bringing me, bringing us, bringing you to repentance for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for leading us and directing us. Thank you for your faithfulness when we are unfaithful. Thank you that you are a God who never changes. Thank you, Lord, that you reached down with me in my despair, in my sin, and you drew me to yourself. And I'm a child of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're going to remember the work of Christ in just a moment. And Lord, today as we do it, when we frame it out of seeing you in your glory, we are so undeserving and yet so blessed. So lead today, God. Lead today, and would this be a sweet time of remembrance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.